there. So I had to relearn how to, to, to live and think and so on. But Birgit and I dealt with that by just concentrating on what we can do and not thinking about what we can't. It's, um, it was a, a, a much saner way to live. But for example, you know, the moment collectors, that never would have come about had I been um, doing what I was doing before because I was just full on with shows and presentations and magazine articles and writing and exploring and um, so you know it, it, the silver lining is yeah the moment collected and I, I just hope it worked I actually sat down to write a book for myself and five chapters in I realized that um, having been tucked away for two years I wanted to do something that was a people thing it was um it was an us thing rather than a me thing because I spent too much of the last year thinking me and thinking Birgit. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. That was the voice of author Sam Manicom, and this is Ted, your host here on the Motorcycle Man podcast, and this is episode three hundred and ten. In today's interview, I have a chat with one of my very favorite people, Mr. Sam Manicom, adventure motorcycle traveler and author of several books, including his latest, The Moment Collectors. And he's here to tell us about his book and some other interesting topics. So stick around for that. But first, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. Now, they're offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So, to learn more, you want to head on over to scorpionusa.com. And, of course, Shinko Tires. Now, they have a tire to suit your need and riding style without breaking your bank account. So, go to shinkotireusa.com and tell them that the Motorcycle Men Podcast sent you. And Wild Ass Seats. Now, you can improve your comfort and ability to stay in the saddle longer with a cushion from Wild Ass Seats. So, if you're tired of those painful pressure points and fatigue, call up the real Craig Johnson and go to wild-ass.com and tell Craig that your ass hurts and get yourself a cushion today. You're going to thank yourself later. And Uclear Helmet Communication Systems. Now, you can enhance your ride with Uclear's Dynamesh-compatible intercom. They got powerful music, crystal clear phone calls on any road, any trail, and, of course, on any helmet, the most portable system you'll ever get. Now, to learn more, go to euclearedigital.com and tell them that the Motorcycle Man podcast sent you. And, of course, as always, our good friends over at Tobacco Motorware. Now, for the best in casual riding gear for men and women, there's only one place you should be going, and that is Tobacco Motorware. I wear the Tobacco Motorware riding jeans all the time. I wouldn't go on any ride without them. And of course, I got the California riding shirt too. You can't go wrong with that. So visit them at tobaccomotorwear.com and our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the code MOTOMEN. Your safety is worth it, so get on over there and get in Dave's pants. You'll thank me later. Time now for that interview with Sam. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Motorcycle Man podcast. Joining me once again from over in the UK, uh, my good friend, Sam Manicom. Sam, how are you? Ted, I am absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. And hi, everybody. It's, um, it's, it's great to be invited back on the show. I'm so glad you could make it back on. It's, it's, we don't get to talk enough. I'm glad you're no, back is, on, though. 
we, we've got kind of an ocean in between us, haven't we? And that, that does make a bit of a difference. <laughs> Just a little bit. But you do come over to the States once in a while. Yeah, I do. Uh, I really enjoy uh, being over in the States. I've never forgotten when I first rolled into the States and I thought, I don't want to be here, but Birgit, my partner, wants to go to Alaska, and so I've kind of got to go through. I just thought it was going to be um, too easy, not enough challenges, and um, expensive. But it's it's like with every, any place that you go to, going in with preconceived ideas is always dangerous. Yeah, um, yeah. And you just have to open yourself up. And, yeah, well, I became a, a, a real fan of uh, traveling and exploring in, in the U.S. And it's not only the landscapes, but it's the people that made me feel that way. Oh, sure. We're a little nutty over here, but we, we're very welcoming now. Yeah. That is for sure. One of, the most ent- um, one of the most hospitable countries in the world. Oh, it's nice to hear. Did you ever make it up to Alaska? No. Oh. No. Um, That's in the works, huh? Well, we got stuck... Um, on, it was absolute misery actually we got stuck on a vineyard in california mm-hmm. you know we were only supposed to be there for a week but after six weeks you know we, we just thought actually we need to stop drinking all this lovely wine and get back on the road again <laughs> um, but of course by that time we'd left it a little bit too late to make it up to alaska we did we just we did keep going and just hope that you know we were going to get a full-on indian summer or something like that and we were going to make it all the way but um yeah, well, we got up to the Yukon, and um, it, uh, it started snowing, and we just thought, right, okay. Um, and, and we didn't have any of the right equipment. You know, we didn't have the right motorcycle clothing, and neither of us even knew what heated grips were, um, as far as heated jackets were wow, concerned. Wow, really? What's one of, no, absolutely. We were, even after all of those years on the road, things like that, we just didn't know about, because we were complete novices when we started, and, of course, we were learning all the time we were on the road. We just never come into contact with things like that. When I think about how much altitude we rode through in South America with frozen hands. Oh, sure. When we could have had heated grips. What? <laughs> well, you now you know better, and now you can you know, restart the trip, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, for those who don't know who you are, and I, I really would be very surprised if there is anybody out there who doesn't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, right. Well, I see myself as a pretty ordinary bloke, but one who made some decisions very early on, and they've kind of guided my life in such a way that um, has turned it into a, a, a mix of loads of fun and a lo- lot of challenges. I'm a Brit. Um, though I was born in Central West Africa. My parents were working in the Congo, and I spent the first 10 years of life um, in the Congo, mostly on bush stations and on mission stations, that sort of thing. What a fantastic place to grow up. Um, Spent most of those 10 years, um, when I wasn't in nappies, of course, um, running around in shorts and barefoot um, with my mates. Um, My first solo trip was when I was 16 years old, and that taught me the value of having a go. This was um, in my school holidays on a brand new bicycle. I'd saved all of my money doing odd jobs and all of this sort of thing until I had enough to buy a brand new bicycle. And I just looked at this thing and just thought, right, come on, what are we going to do? And it was looking at me and thinking, are you just going to ride me to school then? So um, we bunked off during the school holidays, um, page out of my um, school atlas, and set off out into Europe to see how far we could get. I didn't actually get very far because I got lost all of the time. The scale <laughs> of the map was absolutely rubbish. But it was such a good trip because at that age, 
it taught me that great maps open up opportunities, but also it's not actually getting something somewhere that, that matters. It's what you see along the way and the people that you meet and all of the I didn't know that moments. Wow. Um, that yeah. taught me very early on that this is what travel's all about. And I suppose that was quite a dangerous trip because it, it just opened my mind in all sorts of ways that, um, yeah, um, formed the rest of my life. From the age of 21, I did various trips, hitchhiking, bicycle, bikes, bus, train, the car in Australia. I mean, this thing was a mad vehicle. It was a wow. station wagon. It was painted pea green with bright red wheels and the engine just so loud. But it, what a fantastic um, tool to go exploring in. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I discovered motorcycles. And that sort of came around because um, I was looking for a different way to travel. And I sort of sat down and was ticking through all of the ways that I had traveled. And yeah, I would have gone um, again in a way that I'd previously traveled if something had really grabbed me. But um, much as all of those trips were just brilliant fun and fantastic and, and phenomenal learning curves, I wanted to do something different. And I decided, well, actually, why don't I try a motorcycle? So I learned to ride, um, passed my test in six weeks, and six weeks later I was at the edge of the Sahara in Egypt thinking, Sam, what an idiot you are. You haven't got a clue what you're doing. But, well, you know, you just take it gently. And um, the plan was to ride the length of Africa. I had no idea if I was going to make it. But I did. I had such a ball doing that. I just fell in love with yeah, what was yeah, an amazing way to travel. And I carried on around the world for a total of eight years. Amazing fun. But, I mean, it wasn't without its challenges. I got thrown in jail. I had a 17-bone fracture. Um, pra Hang on a second. Let me put the right teeth in. Um, a 17-bone <laughs> fracture prang. And various lurgies, dysentery, malaria, dengue fever, and so on. But they're just the off days. Wow. And as the old saying goes, it's the off days that make the, the good days um, even better still. Sure. And, you know, if it's, it's, not, it's not an adventure if nothing goes wrong, right? Well, no, it's not, because when things go wrong, um, it adds perspective. And I think that we value the good things that much more when we've got um, the perspective of some tough days. Sure. I suppose if I was going to sum myself up, then I'd call myself a travel nut and a travel writer. Okay. Um, I love sharing the road. And through my books, articles and presentations, for me, the point is to encourage people to see both what an incredible world we live in, but also that it's well worth exploring. There is so much to see and learn from. Oh, sure. And of course, motorcycling is the best way, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So the four books that you have uh, currently, uh, Into Africa, Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns, Tortillas to Totems, and now your new one, The Moment Collectors. Tell us mm. about the book. And what should readers expect? Well, in a sentence, it's a celebration of long-distance motorcycling. Um, the Moment Collectors is full of top motorcycling tales of the road from a selection of excellent motorcycle storytellers. Oh, excellent. Right, so now whose idea was it to put this book together? Well, it was mine. Um, I've been wanting to put an anthology together for quite a long time. To take people that I know write really well and to make a book that's full of fun and challenge and I didn't know that moment. Um, I wanted to have different chapters that were full of the surprises and all the natural drama of travel. You know, the fun, the laughter, the high points and the lows, the challenges and the outcomes. 
but this last few years I've just been so busy um, doing other things, um, writing articles and on the road. It's, I've just been too busy to say, right, okay, I'm going to set this year, this next year aside to making this book happen because that's about how long it takes to, to make a book happen, wow. to create a book. Wow. And with COVID kicking in, of course, all of a sudden I wasn't able to do any shows or presentations that alone ride anywhere. Yeah. So I had the time to make it happen. Yeah, grabbed wow. the chance and a new adventure began. Wow. Now, as far as it goes for, well, I'm, one of the things I'm always intrigued with is the titles of books, regardless who the author is. I try, like to try to find a correlation between the title and what's happening in the book. So now for this title is The Moment Collectors. Can you expand upon that? It is one of the hardest things to make happen with a new book. The three most difficult things when you're creating a book um, is the title, the beginning of the book, and the end. Right. And because all of those things, I mean, the title, for example, statistically, when somebody is looking at a shelf in a bookshop or on Amazon, wherever, you're very lucky if they give a book more than five seconds of thinking, shall oh, I sure. or shan't I? Mm -hmm. And if you count, let's count five seconds. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. 5,000. That's actually quite a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, that probably the statistic is close to, it must be about two seconds because I quite often look at a book and I think, well, that looks interesting or no. <laughs> and it's the title and the cover graphics that are always the things that grab me first. Oh, that's as far as you things. go? <laughs> I, I usually turn over, read the back <laughs> or I'll read like if, the liner notes and see what's going on with it. If the front covers grab me with the title and the, and the graphics, then absolutely, I'm, I'm straight over to the back. And if, if what's on the back of the book um, intrigues me more, then I'm opening up the book to see what's on the first few pages, particularly how the first chapter begins. Um, and so it went from there. I mean, the, the title is a key way uh, to catch a person's sure. attention. And it came about with the Moment Collectors because each author was tasked with writing a chapter where they showed a perfect example of the reason that they were out there living their dreams. You know those skin-tingling moments oh, yeah. when you're riding your motorcycle and something fantastic happens and you just think, yes, this is what it's all about. And in fact, my skin's just given a little tingle just with me saying that because I think all motorcyclists know those moments. Just the days when the weather's right, the scenery's right, the bike's in tune, you're in tune with the bike and you've, you've surmounted a challenge and you've come out smiling, whatever. You'd get those skin tingling moments. Um, uh, Maya Angelou once said, life is not measured by the breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Absolutely. And I've always loved that. And Absolutely. so, yeah, it, it just had to be the moment collectors because that's what we do. Okay. Now, it's, it's funny thing what you just said was, you know, the three things, the title, the beginning of the book, and the end of the book is because what I've found is that the middle of the book kind of happens on its own. As long as you have those two points, you know what's going to happen in between. It's just putting it together. But as far as it goes for the authors themselves, now these sec these pieces, segments that you have from these authors, were these pre-written or were these newly created segments? No, these are um, all completely fresh. Oh, wow. Um, it's, um, each, each, so each chapter is an original work um, and it was written especially for the moment, Collectors. 
I know that one chapter is based on a story that was sub subsequently written about um, in the author's next book, uh, which is great as far as I'm concerned because it's a, it's a fantastic story. Um, but everything else is 100% fresh writing and found nowhere else. Oh, excellent. Now, how many authors are featured in the book? 20. 20. Um, so the sub the subtitle to the book is 20 Travelers' Tales from Around the World. It just kind of ticks off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, now tell us about a few of the, the people that might be familiar with that, who are in a book. Okay, well, I, listeners, I think, will know quite a few of the authors. Um, Graham Field and Spencer Conway, to start with. Yes. Oh, and some bloke called Sam. But um, if you don't mind, this is um, a real uh, us book. So... I'd like to read out the names of all of the authors sure, because absolutely. it feels right to talk, not to talk about everybody right. and just to mention them, even if it's by name only. And it'd be quite interesting, I think, for listeners to, to be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I know them or, oh, they're new to me. Um, so here we go. Absolutely. Um, and this is in order of chapters rather than um, in order of, um, yeah, published work or, or whatever. So the first is um, Claire Elsden, Jeff Hill, Spencer Conway. Brian Ricks and Shirley Hardy Ricks, Ted Healy, Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford, Mark Donham, Graham Field, Tiffany Coates, Emma Lucy Cole, Tim and Marissa Notier, Christian Bricks, Helen Lloyd, Michelle Lampier, Travis and Chantil Gill, Simon and Lisa Thomas, Dan Byers, Jeff Keyes, and Mickness and Elsaby Olivier. And that's the, the 20 chapters. Excellent. Wow. How did you select the authors for the book? For me, th this was actually um, a huge part of the fun uh, and the challenge for me. I had a specific set of thoughts in my mind, and bear with me on this, because um, I set myself a clear list of aims, but it turned into quite a challenge in, in some ways. But in other ways, it was just fun and easy because of the people that I know, because of what I've been doing uh, for the last years. So um, I wanted some of the authors to be well known. So Jeff Hill, for example, has 18 cracking books out. Wow, I, wanted I didn't some, have no idea. He's, um, Jeff Hill comes from Northern Ireland and he is, um, I think, seven foot four tall, something like really? that. Um, and he has got the wackiest, oddball sense of humour that I've ever come across. When I read his writing, I'm just sitting there, and, and it's not the sort of writing that you want to sit on a bus and read, because you will be sniggering out loud, and other people will be looking at you as if you're some sort of idiot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's cracking, and, and he is the calibre of the, the, the sort of um, authors that we've got in the book. So I wanted some of the authors to be skilled at article writing, but perhaps had never written a book um, at all. Um, I also wanted some people who'd never been had anything published. I've been following quite a few of the latter with their blogs and posts on Facebook and things like that. So I knew quite a few um, who were really good storytellers from that, but had never really been given an opportunity. And some of the guys said, what, you want me to write a chapter in a book? But but I never thought of doing something like that. I don't think I can. Yes, you can. Try it and see. So this has been part of the joy factor <laughs> of, the, of the book, giving, you know, giving that. Um, but I wanted there to be people from different nationalities too. Sure. Um, so there are six different nationalities, um, USA, England, um, Ireland, 
um, South Africa, Kenya, Swaziland, and Australia, and um, seven if you count me as an Anglo-African, but that's probably a bit cheeky, <laughs> so I probably shouldn't say that. You're allowed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the next um, tick box for me was that I wanted there to be um, a mix of experienced overlanders, some semi-experienced, and some who'd only recently discovered the magic of the long road. And I'm leading somewhere with this, so bear with me. Okay. Um, I wanted there to be um, authors who were riding in different ways. So some who were riding two up, couples on two bikes, and solo riders too. In other words, all of these things um, are the full mix of the sort of people that you meet out on the road you meet the people who've been traveling for years and they know how a lot of the things work right the way through to people and and i never forgot this feeling and i hope i never lose it totally i'm out there and i'm traveling and my eyes are wide open and i'm just thinking wow all the time i'm just seeing stuff new and fresh and exciting all of the time so i just wanted to have this full mix right the way through from, from the experience to the uh, seeing the world for the first time and I wanted to have the full mix of characters and abilities and people and riding styles and so on. Um, and it's, it's kind of worked. But I had one final criteria. Um, I, well, actually, no, there were two more. Um, I wanted to choose people who I know spend a fair amount of their time sharing and encouraging others because that fits in with the mindset of the book, sure. sharing and encouraging. But also the final criteria was, but I had to know these people. So I actually had to have met them and spent some time with them because I was going to be working with them very closely with me doing something that I'd never done before. Right. So I needed to have people who are going to be patient with me. Wow. <laughs> now you said something that, that brought something to my mind. You, you wanted to have people with different experiences and and just something different were all of these people traveling uh adventure bikes or was it a mixture of adventure bikes and road riders etc many of the guys were road riders before they set off to explore outside of their own countries oh, okay. um, i always I, I always struggle between the title um uh, motorcycle touring motorcycle traveling and adventure motorcycling and overlanding right. to me actually as soon as you climb on a motorcycle um you're doing a bit of all of those i think um adventure motorcycling tends to be when you're um, spending a good chunk of time off road exactly and right. overlanding is a general mix but mostly when you're um riding outside of your own country okay all right. Yeah, because I was curious about that because I, 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 looking through the book, I got the impression that some of the people were actually just strictly on road. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think when you do any big trip um, outside of your own country, especially in developing world countries, you will do large sections which are not asphalt. And um, you, many of these guys set off without much experience for riding off-road, and they learned on the road. And for me, this is one of the things that I made a big mistake with. Um, yeah, let's put big in inverted commas there. I, because I had so little experience, um, I knew almost nothing about riding off-road. Um, I'd ridden on a beach um, a couple of times, and I'd ridden some, some paths around the cliffs on the island that I was living on at the time. And that was the extent of my off-road experience. 
and it scared me silly. But I just thought, well, hey, look, you know, you're going to learn. If you don't try these things, if you don't take it steadily and you think about what you're doing, then you'll never learn. Don't let it put you off. Right. Um, with hindsight, um, I should have given myself some more time and I should have taken some courses about riding off-road. I would have spent less time scared and I know I would have fallen off a darn sight less too. <laughs> well, just knowing that six weeks after you got your license uh, to ride a motorbike, you were off on this long distance adventure it, it should be that's crazy in itself but you know admirable as well thank you <laughs> um my mother says that i have a strong streak of stupidity she did actually say that to me although she denies it now <laughs> <laughs> so with regard to all the authors you have in the book were they restricted as far as goes for how how long their piece was or did you just say right um they weren't restricted as such, but I did say to them that I was hoping for anything between 3,000 and 6,000 words. Okay. Um, I didn't want to do anything to stifle the storytelling. And sometimes you can tell a story in less words, and other times you've got so many pieces of um, the, the word picture jigsaw puzzle yeah. that you need a little bit more space to be able to tell the story with all of the aspects and angles and so on. So um, the chapters are all different lengths. And yeah, that's kind of, I think, what makes the book feel such a natural place to be. Right. Now, was there any kind of method to deciding how they were going to be featured in the book? Yes, it was. Um, oh, there was? Oh, oh I'd be like, like to hear this. That's a, that's a really astute question. Um Quite simply, I wanted the, the regions of the world to be mixed. And we have tales from five different continents. So I didn't want all of the tales from Africa to be in one section, all the tales from Asia, etc. Um, I wanted them to be intermingling. Um, I also wanted the different um, types of storytelling to be balanced throughout. But we have 20 authors, um, so we've got um, 20 different writing styles. And it made sense to, to mingle through with the different types of writing styles as well as um, the different continents. And these people, um, they're 100% individuals. And I think that that's part of the, the beauty of the book. Was it difficult for you to choose who was going to be first and who was going to be last? Well, you, you actually put yourself last in the book. Yeah, I put myself last in the book because it just felt like that was logical. Um, mm. Everybody else in this book was more important than me. I was just the person who was involved in the editing and putting it together and so on. But everybody else, um, yeah, they needed to go first. Uh, the first chapter with Claire Elsden, uh, I wanted to start the book with a novice. Oh, okay. Claire had never written before. Oh. Um, and I wanted somebody who had a great tale. And so Claire just slotted in. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a really nice way to start the book. So some of these authors in here who have written out were novice writers? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, one of the other things that I noticed in this book, which was very, very interesting was also, is that there you have a list of advertisers listed in the book as well. You know, that's mm. a little unusual, but how, how important was it to include them in the book? Okay. Um, one of the key so concepts of, of the motorcycle collectors is that it's a sharing thing. And over the years, I've watched the companies um, who are involved in this book being hugely supportive of those that are passionate about overlanding and adventure riding. 
Now, I did ask the company, as I selected, to make a small um, financial contribution. And to keep that in perspective, it's way less than the adverts in many magazines, for example. Um, so, for example, mostly the adverts, um, the, the contribution towards the book has been less than a, a company would pay for a one-sixth of a page advert in wow. um, a magazine. Wow. So it has been a contribution to making um, the book happen. Um, it's, it's allowed me to pay individuals and organizations along the way rather than me having to save up loads of money in advance because I'm not the sort of person that will keep people waiting. If they've done a job for me, then I, I want to be able to pay them. It, it's an honor thing. Sure. And I didn't want Understood. them to keep people waiting um, for, you know, for me to earn some money out of this. Right. Um, and it's taken a year um, to create the Moment Collector. So had I not done, done this, then it, it, I would have been keeping, um, you know, people who had done work um, waiting a long time. And I didn't want to do that. But I have actually done um, these advert um, sections in all of my books. And I've actually had quite a few messages over the years from people directly thanking me for making them aware that a company even existed. Yeah. And I think that that's really nice. And isn't it great when people think to do something like that? And from my point of view, it's it's very much the same as them thinking to post a review of a product, knowing that it's going to help somebody else to make a decision. Sure. Um, part of the sharing concept of the Moment Collectors is that I want to introduce readers to new things, new authors, new blogs, new article writers, but also to companies that I know have both great gear and service. It's why we have um, pages towards the end of the book that are just full of organizations, club, Facebook pages, information sites, and so on. It's all part of the, the sharing nature of the book. Well, would it, would it be too much to mention all who are listed uh, among the advertisers? Um, no, if you think um, people would be interested in I, I, th I think it would be good because uh, I've had a few of these people on the show. Uh, mm -hmm. Bill Dragu, for example, he's been mm -hmm. on the show as well. And you have him listed in here, so I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with uh, mentioning uh, these organizations or these people that are in here. Okay, well, I mean, I'm absolutely delighted to, that I'm um, sure. giving the chance to do this because these are special people and special companies, and um, they're just great fun and they're very passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've got Bill Dragu, who is BMW certified off-road instructor, and. Um, he actually invited me to go on one of his training courses but when I was in the States on a trip a couple of years back. But I could not get my travel insurance company oh. to cover me to do it. And I thought, oh, man, if I fall off the bike and I hurt myself, <laughs> then I'm going to face this horribly large hospital bill. But I thoroughly enjoyed watching and I learned a lot from watching. And um, just being involved with the guys and um, a couple of girls that were um, on the course. Um, yeah, that was great. Um, next company is a company called Rally Raid. Uh, they're a Brit company, um, but uh, over the last 10 years, they've been um, creating products that um, help people to ride bike, bikes off-road. So they've been dealing with wheels and suspension and luggage and uh, all sorts of things. They're, they're, they're a cracking company. Yeah. Moto Freight, um, this is, for me, the go-to company if anybody wants oh. to ship a motorcycle um, around the world. These guys have been um, shipping motorcycles, classic cars around the world for, oh gosh, I don't know how long, but it must be get, uh, 10 years, maybe more. Um, and they really know, and the owners are all motorcyclists. So they know how important it is to, to take care of a bike and to look after a customer very well. 
and over the years they've just um, gathered this huge knowledge um, BMW um, BMW Motorrad um, I did my big trip on a BMW and um, BMW have been quite supportive to me along the way um, not with financial or sponsorship or anything else like that but just giving me a little opportunity here and a little opportunity there and um, so my, I have a bike in the States uh, which I, I bought second hand um, she's rather elderly and um, she's <laughs> covered in dings and scrapes but that's fine because yeah well I fall off so um, uh, she's not precious and um, so yeah it's a BMW as well it's uh, an F800 GS and um, I have an absolute ball on it. Uh, the next company is um, Touratech, a German-based company and I think anybody who's involved in anything to do with overlanding and adventure sure. motorcycling is going to know of Touratech and um, just their, their huge um, catalogue of possibilities and uh, it's one of the things that I love about motorcycling we're all individuals and we've all got our own ways of doing things mm. you get a catalogue like Touratex and you can cherry pick to your heart's consent and you can make your bike exactly how you want it to be Next company is a company called um, Green Chili Adventure Gear. This is an American company that um, I, I met Adam Owens I guess about six years ago, first time at an Overland Expo event where he was displaying. And um, well, his luggage straps are absolutely the best as far as I'm concerned. And I have them on bike, my bikes in the States as, as well as um, my bike here. And they've got all sorts of um, luggage strapping systems and yeah, they're very, yeah, they're very clever. Him, uh, Jim Martin has mentioned him on his show. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. No, that's right. Um, no, it, Jim has um, equal respect for the for the kit. Um, next company is um, Outback Motortech, um, in particular the the US branch. Now this relationship started because I bought my F800 from um, Mr. Outback uh, Motortech USA, and uh, it had Outback Motortech um, luggage uh, bars on it, a back plate, and um, a bash plate underneath. And when I started looking at how well this equipment is made and how well it fits on the bike, I just thought, right, okay, I need to find out more about this company. And yeah, I'm totally impressed with them and their attitude. It's, um, it's, 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 they're great. Um, Woody's Wheelworks. Now, Woody's been around for a very long time, both in the, um, the touring and adventure riding um, world. And the man has a huge amount of respect for the way that um, he builds wheels. Um, his, his work, he's based in Denver, and um, whenever you talk to anybody about wheels, um, they're going to be talking about Woody's because he has um, yeah, such a fantastic um, respect. Wow. The next company is um, Moscow Moto. And uh, I, I suppose they've been on the scene for about five years now. I'm not quite sure. I've not really thought about it before. But they um, create absolutely fantastic um, soft luggage. This stuff is built for all sorts of terrain. It's built for falling off. It's built for scrubbing through the brush and all of that sort of stuff and to stand up to the work. Um, next company, Twisted Throttle. Yes. And this is another American company. And um, I've been um, doing bits and pieces with them for years. And again, it's a company that I really appreciate, not only for the, the, the range and quality of their equipment, but for their customer service. I've stood quietly to one side in their showroom and seen somebody new walking into the showroom for the first time. 
and just the respect that the customers treated and the way they listened to and so on. Uh, I stood there and I just, um, my background is um, retail management. And ju I just stood there and mentally ticked boxes and I just thought, yeah, that's great. Uh, next company is Held. And this is a German-based company and they make um, motorcycle um, riding um, clothes. And I've been using Held um, uh, riding gear for, gosh, must be six or seven years now. And I really like it. Um, I'm quite cynical when I look at um, new products. Mm. And I, I literally took um, the first jacket I had to pieces. I bought it secondhand. And I took it to pieces because I wanted to see how the seams were made and how well it was put together and so on. And um, yeah, I've just stayed with them ever since. Um, or stayed with their gear ever since. Yeah. Um, another American company, Giant Loop Moto. And... Um, I've um, bumped into Harold, um, the, the boss, at um, various motorcycle events around the United States for quite a number of years. And um, I managed to, to drop in on his um, showrooms and factory in uh, Bend in Oregon on one trip. And um, yeah, um, impressive. Um, very cool. And uh, Harold's a, a great supporter of um, many overlanders. Um, the next company is uh, an English company. And um, they're called the Adventure Bike Shop. And uh, they're based in Suffolk in the UK, uh, which is a lovely part of the world. Some cracking mm -hmm. ro uh, motorcycle roads around there. And uh, they do uh, just a, a huge range of uh, motorcycle gear. And um, they started off literally as a, a two-person band. And they have grown on the basis of the quality of the gear that they stock and their customer service. Have you noticed how often I'm bringing up customer service as I'm talking? You know, because it is important. You'd be surprised how many places people go into and there's zero customer service. And, mm -hmm. and that's people a, that, just ignored, aren't they? That's crazy. I mean, if you want your business to grow, the customer is the number one part of your business. Without it, you oh, have absolutely. Nothing. And, and, but conversely, I, I really dislike going into an environment where um, a, a customer is jumped on. Right. Um, salespeople that I appreciate are people who allow somebody to acclimatize with a nod and a grin, which says basically, I'm here. If you want, want me, I'm around. Exactly. And then just give the person a little bit of time sure. to, to potter and to explore a little bit, right. but just keeping an eye open yeah. and, and then just going over. Because to me, the best salespeople are the people who listen to what a customer needs. And if they've got something that will solve that, sure. um, then they talk about it. But I also like salespeople are honest and, and say, well, no, actually, we don't have something. But you should check out such and such. A, there's no shame in a salesperson doing that. And I'll tell you what, absolutely when somebody not. does that to me, I go back. Oh, absolutely. Um, pardon? No, I, saw, I, thought, I totally agree with you 100% on that. Oh, cool. Um, the next company is Avon Tires. When I was on the big trip, I spent the first four years um, trying any different enduro type tire that I could find, get my hands on. I didn't have a clue. Um, and it was just a case of, well, okay, it's, it's got a, a decent grip on it. I'm riding sand, I'm riding mud, but I don't want to be on knobblies um, because I had already learned from other people's comments that they wear down quite quickly. And of course, when you're on a big overlanding trip, you're doing a little bit of everything. So you want a, an everything tire. And uh, I tried um, a tire from Avon and loved them. And I used those tires for the next four years of the trip. And I still ride with Avon tires on, on both my bikes now because I like them so much. Um, okay, um, 
next company, Turkana Gear. Now, this is a South African-based company. There aren't many South African-based companies in the world of motorcycling. No. And um, one of the authors, um, Mickness, and um, his partner, um, Elsevi, um, were involved with setting this company up. So it's a, it's a really nice joint um, connection that they're in there. Next company is uh, another Brit company. Um, they are called RNG Racing. Um, but they just have a really, really wide range of merchandise. In the UK, they're one of the um, the leading stockists of uh, Denali lights, for example. Oh. And that was how I came across them for the first time. Um, I have Denali lights on um, both my bikes and, yeah, I love the things. Uh, next company, it sounds like an awful lot of companies, but it is actually only a few pages. I right. suppose it sounds like a lot because I'm talking about the different companies. <laughs> okay. You didn't offer me the chance to do I that. Did. No, so I, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure everybody appreciates it too. Okay. Mm. Um, so the next company is a company called Moto Breeze. And I came across these guys when Al Jesse, who used to run um, Jesse Luggage, loaned me his personal bike. Yeah, I think it must have been on Tranquilizers when he saw me ride off down the road on that for the first time. But um, this is a, a chain oiler system, and it's run by wind pressure. And I oh, thought, well, that's... what a simple system is this? Um, and it works phenomenally efficiently, um, has no technology as such involved with it. So you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to monitor anything other than um, is, the, is the oil canister got oil in it? And yeah, so yeah, I really like um, this Motor Breeze company. Um, anybody who owns um, a BMW um, will almost certainly have come across um, Motorworks. It's, um, it's a British company and um, they, they supply um, spare parts. They're secondhand parts um, from all sorts of um, eras of BMW bikes, right from the original classic airheads right the way through until the modern bikes. And the next company is a company called Motobins who do a very similar sort of thing. And I've had parts from both of these companies many times over the years. Next company is Dunlop. Um, Dunlop Tires. And uh, this is a company that I've just been starting to be aware of for over the last year or so, perhaps year and a half. Um, I've been meeting them at um, bike shows and bike events and so on. And um, yeah, I'm impressed with the range of, of tires that they've been doing. Um, oh, another American company, Atlas Throttle Lock. And I'm guessing that um, quite a few of your listeners are already going to be using throttle locks. <laughs> and one of the things that um, I'm very conscious of is in the United States, you've got just so many wonderful open miles to do. And I know that people get um, sore, th sore um, throttle hand. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And um, it's it's um, yeah, um, it's distracting. And um, the Atlas Throttle Lock guys, they started off as just such a, um, a husband and wife young company, and on the quality of their gear and how they deal with their customers again, um, they have grown to be um, quite a significant player on the U.S. market. Um, so Atlas Throttle Locks. Um, the adverts that I'm flicking past here are all adverts for um, the different authors, right. either their books or a charity that they've chosen, sure. that sort of thing. Um, Jesse Luggage. Um, I have Jesse Panniers on my F800 GS, 
And um, yeah, well, I the, other than the original plastic BMW panniers that I had when I started out on the big trip and wrecked within the first six months because I fell off on them so much. Um, I, I, the, the panniers that I've got on my bike in the UK were um, handmade by a retired Australian, Australian millionaire in his garden shed. And we literally drew the design for them on the back of a cigarette pack. It was so oh, fun. Wow. There were so many, so many cliches in the whole thing, but uh, a wonderful experience. But other than those original BMWs, the only panniers that I've had that um, have been made um, by a company um, were Jesse Luggage. And I did a lot of research uh, before I bought them. And um, yeah, I like them a lot. Um, now, I don't think you guys in the States have heard of this company very often. It is a Brit company. They're called VisorCat. You know the sort of weather that you get where I call it dimpsy weather. In other words, it's been drizzly. And you're riding along and the traffic is throwing up spray at you. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. there's not enough rain so that it washes away um, the grime. So you end up with your, your visor just being splattered all of the time with this gunk. That if you try and wipe off with your gloves, what are you going to do? You're just going to smear it. You're going to scratch your visor and all of this sort of thing. Right. Visor Cat is um, a, a reservoir with a sponge and a wiper blade that just clip on to the outside of your left glove if you're left-handed. Um, um, and right-handed, yeah, well, depends on what side your throttle's on, but I've got mine on my left. And that you just wipe the sponge, which is wet, from the reservoir over your visor, and then you use the, the, the wiper blade on top of that, and it just clears away the gunk, and oh, yeah, wow. they, they are that's fantastic bits of kit. That's, that's brilliant. It's, it's, it's simple, and it's yeah. clever. Um, and I'm just gobsmacked that um, more people don't know about them, but hey, now more people do. <laughs> yeah. um, that's it. Yeah, those are the those are the companies. Everybody else is um, somebody who's involved with the book and um, making it happen in one way or another. Mm. So um, the authors and um, the um, illustrators and you know all of that sort of thing. Do you know that's really nice of you, Ted, um, to give me a chance to do that, and I, I appreciate you bearing with me just talking about um, right. all of the different guys. And I, I hope that um, your listeners aren't going to mind either. No, I, you know I don't think so because. Um, like, I, like you had mentioned, all of these are listed in your books, and not enough people know that these companies exist. If it's not for the trade magazines, which really, when you think about it, the, the magazine field, uh, they're disappearing. And outside of going to motorcycle shows or books like yours, people don't know about them. And it's, I think it's wonderful that you had the opportunity to do that. I think I'm glad everybody's going to know about this stuff now. I also think that um, word of mouth is great. Sure. Absolutely. It's a huge value, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the people that were involved with the production of this book? Like, for example, the illustrations. All right. Um, Simon Roberts. Now... I'm actually delighted you asked about this, Ted, because so often the backroom people get forgotten. Right. Yet they do so much to make sure that a person um, is investing their dollars in something that both has the look good and feel good factor to it. And Overlander and author Simon Roberts has done just a simply amazing job with the illustrations in the moment collectors, I think. Now, in my previous books, I've done 95% of the illustrations myself. But with this book, because the reputations of 20 authors are hanging on how well it works, I decided that I'd ask a top illustrator to be involved, and to my delight, Simon yet said yes. 
In part, it's um, not only because he is such a skilled illustrator, but also because Simon's actually a motorcycle overlander himself. He rode a BMW R100 G, um, GS across um, Asia. Um, and so he's a travel writer. People should look him up. Uh, his first book, well, his book um, was the first fully illustrated motorcycle overlander book I know of. And it's superb. The man has major talent. But sadly, his book didn't kick off as well as I think it should have. And I think that all came down to the timing of his very tongue-in-cheek use of the title for his book. But I'm not going to spill the beans on that. People need to go and do an Amazon search for, um, for Simon Roberts, and they will see exactly what I'm talking about and why I've said tongue-in-cheek and why I've said it might not have actually helped the book ticket to, 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 to sing and dance as it should have done. You've raised my Simon day job is sorry you've raised my curiosity that's for sure good excellent um simon's day job is running art classes from his home in france and his company which is basically him um deals with storyboards for movies and advertising campaigns and all of that sort of stuff uh, he is a top guy and I feel really privileged that he said yes. And there are over 70 illustrations in the moment, collectors. Oh, wonderful. So um, when people get the book, they'll see exactly why I've seen that. Wow, that's wonderful. But the rest of the team, one of the real joys for me with the moment, collectors, is that every, absolutely everyone involved in this book is a traveler. Paul Smith, the consulting editor, Susan Dragoo, who worked alongside of me with the editing, uh, my partner, Birgit, and Jill Bolton, the proofreaders, and the book designer, Phil Schianini. They've all done big um, motorcycle trips. And of course, I mustn't forget Lois Price, who very kindly wrote the foreword for the Moment Collectors. I'm sure that many of your listeners will have read um, her three motorcycle travel books. It's, it's, it's been a real pleasure to work with people um, who get it, who get yeah. the whole thing about motorcycle travel and just as passionate about it as I am. Wow. Now, do you hope that this book turns into a form of inspiration for would-be travelers as well? Yeah, absolutely. And all the authors at one time or another have had a dream. Yeah. And one of my favorite sayings is, um, dreams are where adventures begin they made their dreams come alive. And the honesty and passion of these writers is quite wonderful. Yeah. Because each writer is so different to the next, um, readers are already feeding back that they're finding specific authors that they directly relate to. And they're picking out things from the way that person's written about something, the way they've described it, the, the passion that comes across from um, chapters that they specifically relate to. And I think um, one of the other things that's the beauty of the chapters is that each author has woven in top tips within their writing. Yeah. So whatever the chapter is, um, the reader has the chance of, of, of finding moments they think to themselves, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. What a great idea. Or, God, what a simple idea. Why didn't I think of that? But it's there. It's all interwoven in the book. Right. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm I, talking I, too much. Aren't no, I? no, no. It's quite all right. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. But I want to skip ahead to. Uh, I, I got this three-part question I want to ask you, and, and mm -hmm. I think, I, I, and you are the person that should be answering this question with regard to adventure travel. And the world has has, has gotten smaller and smaller over the years. It, it's seemingly more dangerous, you know, based on what you hear on the media. Is there still enough space out there for adventure travel by motorcycle? 
Gosh, that's such an on-topic question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, absolutely on the ball. I know these thoughts are in a lot of people's minds. COVID and the restrictions and the risks have made an awful lot of people think very hard about what's going to happen in coming years. Yeah. But let me start off by saying I actually feel really optimistic. Um, first of all, I think that a lot of the concern comes about because we have massively improved communication. Even um, over the last 10 years, the, the communication ability has um, just dramatically improved. Oh, sure. We have the ability to have information about anywhere in the world within seconds. With a few taps on our, on our phones or um, on our keyboards, um, we can have information there. And that does make the world feel smaller, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I also think part of the risk is the selective nature of the less scrupulous elements of the news media. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, there are elements of the news media that make um, that that believe that if it's not scandalous or dangerous, then it's not going to sell a, um, a program or a newspaper. Sure. And so there's too much concentration on that. There's not enough balance. Um, I think. It's just that we hear more about some of the things, of the harder things that are going on. I mean, the, the reality is the stuff happens. Right. I mean, after all, human beings are involved, aren't they? And um, nature can be fickle too. So there are going to be wobblies thrown. Um, I always think about um, this analogy. You can have um, a huge plume of smoke, but actually that plume of smoke can be coming from a small bonfire from somebody in their backyard burning leaves. Sure. It's yeah. really important for us to find out how big the fire is before we start getting worried about it. Um, having said that, um, it's not at all relevant for what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, is yeah. it? Um, it's such a scary situation. And sure. to my mind, President Putin is a very scary um, person. And I think how we deal with um, this situation as individual nations around the world and as individual people, we need to be calm, have common sense and to look really hard at what's going on. Um, then I think that this could be dangerous for what happens to the world next. Sure. So, yeah, we're, we're on a, a very dodgy time. Um, well, on that note, I'll lead into the second part and then the third part of the question. The mm -hmm. way the world is now, do you think now you think back to when you first did your trip into Africa? Mm. And that was how many years ago? Now, does the world allow for that type of travel the way you used to do it? And does that, I like to use the term off the beaten path, does that even exist anymore? Yes, it does. Okay. Um, and um, yes, it is. Um, oh, no, actually, that should be, um, yes, it is, and yes, it does. Um, <laughs> adventure travel opportunities um, are still um, full on. Um, the routes, for example, I, I use this as an example. The route that I followed through Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Malawi, and on down to South Africa. When I did that, large sections of it were dirt and difficult. Uh, there were p political stresses in some areas. Sure. Um, for example, Ethiopia had just finished a 20-year civil war. Um, Sudan was having infighting between north and south and, and so on. Um, the road conditions in some parts were absolutely diabolical. You can now, um, a lot of the political situations have eased, although very sadly things are very rocky again in Ethiopia. 
Um, but now you can ride almost the full length of the east side of Africa on asphalt wow. if you choose to. Yeah. Um, so different. But that's great for the locals. Is it great for having adventures? Well, it depends who you are. Some people just don't want to ride off-road. Some people want to be able to ride on asphalt, to enjoy the scenery, to enjoy riding their motorcycles. So it all comes down to who the ind individual is and what they want. As far as um, those who want to ride the off-road, well, that's all right. Mm -hmm. Hang a right for 100 kilometers, then hang a left and carry on going south. And you can be on back roads that haven't changed for hundreds of years. No. So just don't stay on the main beaten tracks and yeah. you will find that um, you'll be going through little towns and little villages that have hardly changed. And you'll be able to, to find a village where you can be sitting drinking maize millet beer with the locals and that's the only beer they've got in town and the tough is disgusting. But the relationship that you'll build with the locals because you're sitting doing that with them, even if you haven't got a single word of language in common fantastic and that's what it's all about i think um adventure riders and overlanders need to head out um with even more respect than they have done in the past because um covid has put a really huge stress on many developing world countries oh, sure. and we just need to be very much aware of local needs customs and regulations right. but i also think that um, part of the challenge of traveling now um, in a way is a joy people I, I used to hear people saying things like well why would you want to ride the length of africa it's been done before well you can't say that anymore because right. anybody planning to head out to ride the length of africa is gonna have to be way more flexible than they than they ever had before. Sure. Um, but not only that, in, you know, your experience is not going to be my experience. Oh, absolutely right. And it never was going to be anyway, because you're a different person to me. Right. The time that you're there, the weather may be different, the politics may be different, um, a road may have been trashed by floods or whatever else it's going to be. But now you're going to find that you've got um, countries that suddenly close in front of you. So one of the things that are going to be um, important is for people to be not talking about the things that they can't do, but working out the ways that they can do. And so, for example, let's say you're going down through South America and heaven forbid, um, Peru suddenly closes all of its borders. It has to. Well, OK, any overlander with common sense is going to have already thought about ways to go round or over. Right, exactly. You're going to think about ways to go plan. round. Sorry? You're going to have a plan. Yeah, it'll be plan B. And instead of learning about all of the countries that are in front of them, they're going to be learning about the countries to the side too. Sure. So actually the knowledge that they're going to be gathering from their trip is going to be even deeper and even more interesting. And that to me is one of the key points of going out on a big ride outside of your own country. It's all of the I didn't know that moment and all of the possibilities that open up along right. the way. But those possibilities open up with some planning, with some knowledge. Right. You know, it's funny because I've had this conversation with other people and I've said, I, you know, I would mention about adventure travel, traveling around the world. And the comment I most often get is, well, you can't really do that anymore. And I have to, mm. they're wrong because it's, it, it's there. It, there is so much space out there that is mm -hmm. waiting to be explored. Well, you know, one of the, this goes back to what I said right at the beginning of the show um, about the United States. Yeah. I thought it was going to be too easy. 
But actually, <laughs> the United States just taught me that it's full of possibilities. In other words, if I wanted to stay on the freeway, well, I pretty much could for most places that I wanted to go. If I wanted to go on main roads, the, the roads that were the main roads before freeways were built, I could do that. If I wanted to go on tiny little back roads, I could do that. If I wanted to spend most of my time on gravel and sand, I could do that. Oh, yeah. The USA is a, a land of possibilities sure. um, for um, motorcycle riders. And, you know, you've got things like the, the, um, the backcountry discovery routes oh, absolutely. and you know, all yes. of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And people say it's all been done before. It's easy. Hell no, just watch some of those films. Have you have you seen any of the films? I've seen all of them except for the latest one, the Wyoming one. I have I've seen Aren't all. they incredible? They Sterling are... Norrin is just a fantastic <laughs> film cameraman and, and producer, isn't he? Oh my gosh. I had Tim uh, Tim James was on the show. And we, oh, ta- right. we talked for over two hours. And uh, he's he's got me. Uh, he, he's threatening to put me on uh, Scrambler and take me up one of these trails. <laughs> so. Oh, excellent! Bite his arm off, Ted. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, how can people learn more about the Moment Collectors, and where can listeners get a copy? I'll, um, if people want to read some more, um, including some excerpts from the different chapters, um, they can just go to my website, which is sam-manicum.com. Okay. Um, people can order direct from me. Um, it's um, Postage is, is fairly steep from the UK to the United States, so I would actually recommend that unless somebody wants to have a signed copy, which, of course... I'm delighted to put the first signature in the book, and we've actually got a special page right at the front so that people can collect signatures. Sure. So as they bump into the various authors over the years, then um, they can collect another signature in there. And, um, yeah, quite a few of the authors are Americans, so that's not so long stretch, right. and quite a few of them come in and out of the United States. So okay. they can have some fun doing that. Um, but um, the Book Depository uh, do free worldwide delivery, and of course, there's Amazon who do both the paperback and the Kindle version. Sure. And um, can I possibly ask that anybody who decides to, to buy a copy from Amazon, would you please do me a big favor and post one or two lines of a review on Amazon? That is just such an amazing help. Absolutely. We're not with a huge publishing house and those reviews from readers just make such a massive difference it to does. us. It does. Um, there's one there's one final place people can get it from and that's um, an organization that I haven't tried working with before and that's Barnes and Noble it's um, available as a, a nook oh. ebook from okay. them now here's an interesting question I think it would be a fantastic idea you, is there going to be an audiobook version of this <laughs> um at the moment, I'm concentrating on getting the paperback Kindle and Nook versions um, out there and people are aware of them. It is a huge job to do. Sure. Um, it's an audio book is complicated. If it's just me, yeah. then I can go into the kite studio and I can sit there with the engineers and we can make um, an audio book happen. Yeah. But I've got 20 authors involved and some of them are girls and some of them are Australian girls and I don't do Australian girl accents very well so <laughs> do I read this um, or do I try and get everybody who are in their own countries into a studio that has the same sort of equipment 
and the same skill set as Kite Studio. And what about the guys who are actually out traveling now? Right. What do yeah. we do with them? Mm. Um, I am getting a lot of people saying, Sam, you should be, you should read it. Um, but at the moment, I'm not even thinking about it because uh -huh. I, I really, really need to concentrate on um, what I'm doing now sure. um, with getting the word out. And I tell you what, it is a massive task. And I am so grateful to you for having me on Motorcycle Men. Um, and to all of your listeners who've tuned in and made it this far through the show where you know, I've been talking passion and, um, and just, yeah, motorcycle travel and, and the book so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Sam, always. So what's next for Sam Manicom? Any adventures of your own in the works? Um, I'm really hoping that actually I'm going to get a trip back to the States this year. Mm -hmm. If it all comes together, then I'll be back in the U.S. for... Um, most of August, September, and part of October. Um, I, I, I need to focus on what I'm doing with the Moment, Moment Collectors for the next weeks, and then um, I can get my head fully into um, seeing what I can make happen with that. I am itching to be back, and my bike, Lucky, isn't feeling so lucky having stood <laughs> in a friend's um, shop for the last two years. Oh. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to being back. I really like riding in the United States, and I've made a lot of um, friends over the years, and I'm missing their company. Oh, really? Wow. I, I, I'm going to ask you one more question, and I, I'm detouring here a little bit. Mm, well, okay. Do you think ever think about when you first started doing your trip uh, around the world, and you didn't have the technology available to you then that you do now? Mm -hmm. How much of a difference would that have made for you? There's a long pause because I'm having a hard think about this. Um, <laughs> I like to ask hard questions like that. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, f f for me, I don't think the reasons that I travel would have changed. Right, of course. I am there because I want to immerse myself as much as I possibly can as somebody moving through. Right. Um, into what's going on in the individual countries. It's one of the reasons why it took me eight years to make it around the world. Um, I rode a lot of miles yeah. and I spent a lot of time just in places for two or three days at a time here and two or three days at a time there, exploring locally, using a base and this sort of thing, sitting with the locals, drinking maize millet beer, um, or just uh, you know, on the edge of a market, um, drinking coffee with somebody local and they're talking about what they're seeing and, and their history and their culture and all of those sorts of things. And those sorts of things are still my passion to learn about. I love riding my bike and I love the opportunity that it gives me to explore and to learn and to experience. So I don't think that those things will change. Um, I know people who use tape recorders to record, you know, just digital recorders now to record um, their journals. Sure. I kind of like sitting underneath a tree at the end of a day, uh, right handwriting um, yeah. my thoughts. Um, but also I like standing handwriting my notes when I'm standing, for example, in a queue in a post office in Tanzania, because I can be jotting down the things that are around me, the sights and the sounds and the smells and the people and what I'm observing, just all of those sorts of things. Right. And I like the, the tangible way of, of writing. So I don't think modern technology would have changed me um, that much. Would I have used um, social media? I have no idea. I don't <laughs> think very much because it's of 
a um, distraction. You, you need a good you need a good reason to do it. Right. And for me, when I'm on the road, I'm out there because I want to be where I am. Um, when when I was traveling on the big trip, for example, I would write to my family every six weeks, something like that. But being able to talk to them every day, for me, that would stop me getting immersed yeah. in where I was. And I think my family would be quite happy now if I wasn't in touch with them every six weeks. <laughs> Go away. Stop, stop bugging us on our Facebook page. Go and do something. Did you, that's, you, that's you pre- did, well, you didn't have a GPS when you did that either, did you? No, not at all. Um, map, maps and a compass, and I got lost a lot, and it really didn't matter at right, all. Exactly. So long as I had um, enough time left on my visa um, for the country that I was in, getting lost, well, that was just unexpected adventures. Mm. And for me, I, I love maps. They're just phenomenal. They bring the world alive. It's, it's not only um, the contours, but it's the place names and the mm. history that's wrapped up in a map. Yeah. Um, I use a GPS, but I really like the sensation of sitting down and planning with a map because yeah. I see what's going on to the sides. Oh, yeah. I hope loads of your listeners are sitting there going, <laughs> yep, we got in. You're ready. <laughs> Absolutely. GPS um, is great. GPS <laughs> is great. It's a wonderful tool. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tool, but you know what? It's like we stare at screens all day long and. Now we have another screen. I try. I always have a GPS with me when I'm riding. It depends on mm-hmm. where I'm going. Um, do I pay attention to it? Not often, <laughs> but it's there. It's like a tool, like you said. Uh, any any closing words about the book? I very much hope that your listeners will invest in a copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, be that from me, the book depository, or Amazon. Um, they'll be buying into 360 pages of entertainment. The guys involved with making this book happen have been absolutely wonderful, and the word pictures that they create within their chapters are just fantastic. Okay. And I think, um, I think that they'll really enjoy linking up with a bunch of really good people. Um, and when I read the, the list of authors, yeah, I'm sure that one or two people will already know quite a few of those. And um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's interesting. Um, there's lots to learn. Uh, and there's some real inspiration in there. And I know as the person who's put this book together, I'm going to say that. But I wouldn't say if I didn't feel it. <laughs> That's true. Well, Sam, I want to thank you very much. And we're here talking about The Moment Collectors, 20 Traveler's Tales from Around the World. Uh, by Sam Manicom and friends. Sam, I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast. You've been absolutely wonderful. As usual, I don't have you on enough, and but I will have you back on again. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you when we're done. But again, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Okay. No, well, thank you very much, Ted. Um, it's it's a real pleasure chatting with you. And like you said, we don't do it enough. Um, we'll have to get together properly when I'm in the States one or two. Um, that one would of be these great. Times, and, um, we'll, we'll share a whiskey or two. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam. Cheers, Ted. Thank you. The Motorcycle Man Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation, helping families stricken with the effects of cancer. To learn more, go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate, and you get to see your money actually make a difference. And, of course, the Gold Star Foundation. 
helping families of fallen soldiers. If you'd like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Thank you for joining me and Sam here on the podcast. You can learn more about the Moment Collectors by going to www.sam-manicom.com. That's sam-m-a-n-i-c-o-m.com. There you can get a copy of his latest book as well as his other books. Links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website. Hey, don't forget to go over to the Motorcycle Men YouTube channel and watch some of the many videos we have there, including the Ted Shed and Ride with Ted videos. And of course, we are now on Discord. So check that out and search for Motorcycle Men. We'll have announcements and upcoming interviews, shows and chat sessions. Maybe even you can listen to an episode live or just chat with us. We'll see. We'll keep you posted. Don't forget that you can now support the podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. That's right. So head on over to the website and click on the link that's on the landing page to buy us a coffee to help out the podcast. Every little bit helps. And we appreciate your support. All right. For the rest of the Motorcycle Men team, thanks for listening. And remember, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safe, kids. <laughs>